Baseball 365 Podcast. And here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Andrew, I have a problem. What's that? Well, I just finished my fourth fantasy baseball draft the last couple days. Well, I don't have any more drafts. I'm only in four leagues. Oh, jeez. I think I need to do something different here because here we are at the end of February and I'm already done and we have another month to the season and there's no more drafts to do. Yeah, I definitely don't have that problem. So, I don't <laughs> <laughs> No, don't you have like two or three going on right at the moment? Yeah, I've got um, Roto Masters 3. We're like kind of in the middle, just past kind of across the halfway point. I got asked to take over a team in the great fantasy baseball invitational. So they had made two picks and they needed an owner and Justin Mason so kindly asked me. So that was a good opportunity. We're in the middle of that. And uh, I'm also in a home run derby league that Jory's running. So yeah, they're all three going and they all have different time clocks and it's pretty crazy right now. Do you have more to do after that or are these the final three? It might be it, actually. Yeah, it might be it. Never say never, but it might be it. (laughs) Two weeks from now, I've joined three more leagues. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see, but it might be it. All right, well, it's time for us to talk about shortstops again, but we got one thing I want to bring up beforehand. We are on iTunes. I've mentioned that before. We've had a couple reviews come in, some nice ratings, too, and we appreciate those reviews that we have received. And I wanted to give an incentivize you guys to get on to iTunes and give us a review. So what we're going to do between now and opening day, if you get on iTunes and write a review for us, we're going to take all those names and we're going to draw and we're going to send one person a baseball 365 t-shirt, whatever size you need. So if you could get on there and write an iTunes review for us, we'll add you to the list. Sound like a good idea, Andrew? Yeah, that sounds that sounds awesome. Yeah, keep sending those reviews in, guys. Yeah, we appreciate your support. Well, how about that? A huge deal just went down. Bryce Harper. It sounds like he's heading to the Phillies on a thirteen-year, three hundred and thirty million dollar contract. Wow. It's finally done, Andrew. He's finally on a roster. I can't believe I I can't believe it. I cannot believe that Machado and Harper are both signed. It is awesome. It's the long wait is over, and I'm just floored with this. For starters, thirteen years and three hundred and thirty million, that's not even oh thirty million per. I guess Scott Boris has already talked about this in terms of why such a low average salary per year. And he's saying to get great length, you have to give something up. Frankly, the Philly ballpark had a lot to do with it. Bryce hits great there and ownership flew out twice to Vegas and really wanted to go through the hoops to show how much he wanted Bryce. And further, he said the goal was to get the longest contract possible. Bryce wanted one city for the rest of his career. That's what I was instructed to do. It's very difficult in this time to get length of contract that takes a player to age 37, 38, and 39. I gotta say, with what everybody seemed to be talking about Harper, this is shocking because there were teams coming at him 
with four and five year offers. People are saying that they were up over forty million per, but he's taken thirteen years here at less than thirty per because he wants to retire with one team or play the rest of his career with one team. This is not what I expected. Yeah, thirteen years. God, it's like what is that? Two thousand and thirty two? Oh my gosh. It's just it's crazy to think about even. I don't even yeah. that's that's so long. But yeah. Good for him. I'm just I'm just glad it's over with. It, we can stop all the talk of like, oh, are they going to sign? I, I heard somebody say like, are they? Wh- at what point do you start getting nervous and all that? And I'm just like, I'm not nervous. It's not going to be till right, be- you know, a day or two before the season, a week before the season. Yep. I'm glad it's over though. Let's move on to something else. And for fantasy purposes, that is a great park and lineup right now that he's a part of. Oh yeah. Do you have that lineup there in front of you? Uh yeah, I got it here. It was McCutcheon. McCutcheon was leading off. Segura two, Harper three, Hoskins four, Real Muto five. Wow. Oduble six, Michael Franco seven, Cesar Hernandez eight. That's pretty nuts to have Cesar Hernandez eight with his OBP and stuff. It's it's really good. That team has improved that lineup in a big way, bringing in Real Muto, Harper, and McCutcheon all this offseason. And I've we haven't gotten outfielders. I love McCutcheon this year for where he's going. That could be a dynamic lineup. And Segura. They brought in yeah. McCutch- McCutcheon, oh, Segura. Yeah. Yeah. McCutcheon, Segura, Harper, and Real Muto, yeah. Yeah, it's wild. That's their lineup. It's going to be fun to see that NL East because the Nationals still are a competitive team with what they have. The Braves, the Mets, and now the Phillies. Good luck, Miami. (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah, it'll be interesting. But, yeah, that's going to be fun to watch play out. We'll see how that plays out this year. Okay, Andrew. You ready to talk some shortstops today? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Rick Elmers asked a Facebook question, is this the best era of fantasy shortstops in our lifetime? And he brought up the 2000 era where we had Nomar, Tejada, Jeter, and A-Rod. That was a top-heavy group at that time, but we do have a lot of really good shortstops right now. What, how would you answer that? Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good right now. It's, it's I don't know if I could say that it's better than that one, but... Uh... Yeah, it's pretty good. It's really deep and a lot of talent. So a lot of talent in the minors too. Still at the position, it's it's really good right now for sure. It may be the most special position we have right now in baseball with how many shortstops there are. There are years where it seems like you've got to get one. Going back ten years ago with the Troy Tulowitzki era, where Tulo was so valuable because he was so much better than all the other shortstops, and now it feels different in terms of. This is a position that you could wait on and still get yourself a quality shortstop. It's definitely deep, deep as it's really deep as it's been in a long time. Maybe even back then. I mean, back then it was top heavy. Obviously, the stars were just crazy good. I don't know if it was ever this deep. It's it's really deep right now. I think that's the right way to say it. I remember thinking I had just started playing fantasy baseball around that time. And I remember feeling like I had to get one of those top four because it dropped off big after that. While this one, it just seems like it's more of a 
steady decline down the list, but not a huge drop to where they're still quality guys. I mean, I'm looking at 15, 16, 18, 20. There's a lot of guys even in those ranges that I'd gladly take as my starting shortstop. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Well, once again, we're going off of NFBC ADP, and we'll get started here. And number one on the list is Francisco Lindor, who still has an ADP in the top 10. But this, a lot of this is because of the injury that happened to him, and he just hasn't fallen down quite as much yet. We did talk about Lindor on one of our first episodes right after the injury hit. And I remember both of us saying we'd take him around the wheel at that time. Are you still feeling comfortable around that spot? Yeah, I would say like the late part of the first round all the way around to middle of the second. Somewhere in there, yeah. He's arguably my favorite player. I love him. I mean, he's just he's phenomenal. I do think you have to drop him behind some of those elite players that go in the first round around the area where his actual ADP sits right now, like the four, five, six. I mean, you got to move him back a little bit because you're comparing him to guys that are just so elite that it's only fair and right to do. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't move him down too much. I mean, a little bit there, late first, early to mid second. That's uh, that's where I would take him. Yeah, I think late first would definitely be somewhere I'd take him. And if he fell into the second, I'd grab him anywhere. You know, he had 38 home runs and 25 steals last year. And with the injury, you would think that this would knock down his, uh, at least you can't count on 20 to 25 steals for sure. There is that risk that this lingers, but there's still a chance that he's back and ready to go opening day or really close to and his legs healthy and he's running. The potential is still there for 30 plus home runs and 20 plus stolen bases. But you do have to knock it down to where it's possible those steals cut in half or even worse. But even if you get a 30-home run shortstop with a few home run, a few stolen bases chipped in, that's not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. I, I believe, I'd have to double-check it, but I believe in my draft that's going on now, my redraft, he went seven overall. So he didn't get moved down too much in that one. Next up is Trey Turner at number two. He's the eighth overall pick in ADP going in the first round. Finally stayed healthy for a full season, but he had fewer steals than he did in 2017 with 64 fewer games. What was interesting is the manager did state last week that he's, his goal is for Trey Turner to attempt 75 to 80 stolen bases, which... That would be incredible, given it seemed like he was running a lot less last year. Going into the year, how many steals would you project Trey Turner to get? Because that's the, that's what you're drafting him for, is the steals plus the homers. I would project about where he's been, mid to, mid to upper 40s, I would say. 46 two years ago in 98 games, which is just incredible, and then... 43 last year, he played all 162, so it dropped off some. Didn't didn't run quite as much last year. I mean, about the same amount, but he, he played in way less or way more games last season. Uh, I yeah, I would say if I had to put a number on it, I would say around 45 to 48, maybe somewhere in there. Steamer has him for 41. I would take the over on that. 
Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't go too high. Probably mid to upper forties. I think if he stays healthy the full year, I'm projecting him for higher than that. I think it's very possible that he gets back up to that fifty five plus range. And here's why. Watching him the last few years, I owned Bryce Harper and Trey Turner in a dynasty league that I was in. Seeing Trey the last two years, and especially last year, but once Adam Eaton came back, and you had Adam Eaton and Bryce Harper in that lineup, it seemed like he wasn't running as much last year. And part of my fear is that Bryce Harper was, he was scared to run with Bryce Harper up because then if he gets on second, Bryce Harper's taking a walk and you're taking your best bat out of the lineup and putting them on first. And I don't know if there's anything to this, but it, it really seemed like that was happening more last year. And now Harper, he just signed with the Phillies, so that's not a problem. And I just think he's going to run more. Yeah, it, yeah, it's very possible. It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if he stole 60. I mean, he, he can do it. Just one of those things that's 45, 60, you know, any... It could be anywhere in there. I wouldn't be. Uh, I wouldn't be too surprised. I guess I'm kind of going the conservative route. The one thing I, I like Trey at eight. Uh, the one thing, or I guess the only thing I will say with him that I've always kind of wondered is uh, his OBP. Just it's not quite what you would want, or not quite what you would think of in like a superstar type guy at the top of the lineup. It's not quite as high as other guys that you think of in that way. So just something to keep in mind. They have Eaton's a great on-base guy. Rendon is a great on-base guy. Soto's a great on-base guy. And if Robles comes out, awesome. I I think there's a chance Trey could get moved down in the lineup. I wouldn't predict it, and I hope that doesn't happen. But that would be my only – that's really the only thing on my mind when I'm um, considering Trey at eight, the only negative thing. Because everything else is good. It's a unique skill set, league-leading stolen base potential, pop, you know, good average. I mean, he's he's good across the board. He's great across the board. But that that's just my only thing is I just wonder, you know, if he if he's hitting lower in that lineup, it doesn't look as good. And it's those things are hard to predict, but just something to keep in the back of your head. Yeah, and there were times last summer where he was getting moved down to the five six hole when everybody was healthy and they were tinkering with their lineup a lot. Yeah. That said, he was walking much better last year at a 9.3% rate. His batting average, given the speed he has, his BABIP was 314, which for someone like him does feel like it's low to where I could see him getting back closer to that 300 batting average because he's only striking out 17, right at 17 to 18% of the time the last few years which isn't bad. If he can get that bad up and have a little more luck hitting 300, and if he can keep his walk rate even above 8%, he could get it that bad on-base percentage back up there. But you're right, though, with what you said. If Robles is blowing up and everybody else is healthy, and if his walk rate does go back down to the 4 to 6% range that he had the previous two years, he could easily get moved down in that lineup. And, yeah, that would not be good for him. Yeah, I think his career on base is 346, which is good. It's not phenomenal or anything. Um, Eaton's is 363. Rendon's is 361. Soto's is obviously really high. (laughs) I don't have it on offhand, but it's really high. So yeah, 
Right. Sure felt, <laughs> felt like it, <laughs> but yeah, just, just like I said, just something to keep in mind. It, we're splitting hairs here. Obviously he's great. And he's a great pick at eight. I have no, no issues with it, especially with the way uh, stolen bases are these days. They're, they're tough to get and he gets them. Yeah. It's kind of like you said with Whit Merrifield, he offers something that hardly anybody else offers 19 home runs, 43 stolen bases. That's hard to find. Oh yeah. Especially, especially for a guy who hits at the top of a lineup that will produce runs. Even without Harper, they're going to produce runs. Next up is Alex Bregman. We're going to talk about him on the third base episode. His ADP is number 13. Number four is Manny Machado at right there at the wheel at fifth pick 15. Uh, now he's with the San Diego Padres. You know, we talked about his home runs and what we thought that would, how they would be affected with him going to San Diego, but... I want to switch this over to the other end with stolen bases. Playing under Buck Showalter, he had that first year where coming after he had the knee injuries, he had that first year where he stole, I think, 20 bags. Looking it up right. Yeah, 20 bags in 2015. And then he stole zero the next year, nine, and then stole 14 last year whenever their team was cooked. So let's play the over-under because he's in San Diego now, and that's a team that has been very aggressive running the last few years. If I was to set the over-under at 15, which side are you landing on? I would take the under. I don't really expect Machado to run a lot. Like when I think of him, it's awesome hitter, awesome power. Whatever he chips in and steals is just kind of the cherry on top. But I, I don't really expect it to be a lot. If I had to put an exact number on what I think it would be, I would say 8 or 9, maybe 10. But I don't really care. I He's so good it doesn't matter. I, he's just he's so good. And I don't care that he's hitting in Petco. I It's one of those things that with some guys, I feel like Petco can – sap what they do you know like Hosmer or obviously it happened to him and it's happened to others but I just don't really believe it's going to happen to Manny Machado he's so good I just that doesn't matter to me I think he's going to be great and same guy he's always been really nice thing with Machado too is he's always in there last four years 162 games played 157 156 and 162 he doesn't miss any games he's great no issues with him here. I would draft him. Uh, Brendan Craig asked on Facebook, and might I add, we did put questions out on Facebook. We did put them out a week and a half ago whenever we recorded the first time, and I think we have new information since, but I'm still going to ask this question. Will Manny Machado play enough games at shortstop to be shortstop eligible in 2020? And it sounds like they've already talked about this publicly, and they're saying that Machado is going to be playing at third because there's some kid coming up. i can't remember his name, but I think there's some kid coming up that's supposed to be kind of good. Yeah. Yeah, they uh, they got a few guys that Urias and Tatis, obviously Justin's talking about Tatis, but I think this is a really good question, though, because I don't know. I, I, don't, I mean, I don't think Tatis is going to be up immediately. So could he get those games? I think he could. It. It's a really good question. That when I when I read it, I kind of paused, almost like thinking about it. I don't think I would predict him to do it. Like if I had to take one side or the other, I think I would say no. I think he's pretty much going to live at third base this year. 
I could see a scenario where he does play there a little bit, especially like if Tatis isn't quite up yet or, you know, somebody else is banged up and they have to kind of shuffle things around. You never know how things are going to go over the course of a season. So I think there's a chance. I would lean I would lean no if I had to pick a side though. I think I'm gonna say he doesn't get there. I don't I think with them having enough middle infield options, he's they keep him at third. They can throw some other guys at shortstop like Urias and a couple and some I think they have another guy on that team that can play short also, just as a backup role. To where I'm gonna say no, but it is possible. Next up, we do have Javi Baez. We've already discussed him on the second base episode. He's also going on the wheel, and that'll take us to number six, Trevor Story, 19th overall, the second round, fourth pick. And again, this is off of 15-team redrafts. The last few years with Story, I was out. The 30%-plus K rate that he had been showing, his walk rates were pretty rough there in his first couple years. And with this last year... He made some major improvements in the strikeout rate to where he got it down to 25%. Along with that, a 37 home runs and 27 stolen bases. Those are incredible numbers. Before this year, I was out on him. But I think this year, I'm ready to buy. Where are you at with him? Yeah, I totally understand buying him. What what a season for Trevor Story. Just just unbelievable when you look at his stat line, what he did. I mean, it just, just absolutely remarkable. 37 homers, 27 steals. Bumped the average up. The hard hit rate was up. The K rate was down. Just incredible. I, I can't believe the season he had. I truly can't. And I was definitely wrong on him in the past. So I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. As for this year... I don't expect him to quite repeat it, but I don't think he has to. I, I think if he does, you know, 80% of what he did, 80 to 85% of what he did, I think it's fine here. There's so much juice in those counting stats with with the Rockies, and some of the issue with the in the past has kind of been, oh, Brendan Rodgers is ready to take over for him, and, you know, there's been those kind of questions, and those questions are all gone. So now it's it's you know it's his job and it's obviously the best hitters park in the world. It's a great lineup. I think he's going to contribute everywhere. I I don't uh, I don't see any problems with taking him here. It's power. It's speed. Average that doesn't kill you. Even if his average did dip a good amount, it, he probably won't hit two ninety one again. But I think even if he hit two sixty five, it's fine. Yeah. With the with what he's going to do in the others the other categories, it's just he provides you with everything else. So thinking about him at number nineteen, and I'm looking at his steamer projections right now. You said eighty to eighty five percent. They even have it less than that. But when you look at the stat line, this is a player who goes at this point of the draft: thirty home runs, eighteen stolen bases, ninety six RBI, eighty five runs, and a two seventy one batting average. If you could yeah. say you could get that right there out of that 19th overall pick, sign me up. Yeah, and some of the other projection systems have them for more than 30, like closer to 35, and more like 20 steals instead of 18. So it's totally fine here. I, I have no issue with it at all. He's a stud in his prime, and he's in the middle of that Rockies lineup. It's just counting stats galore. 
Well, let's see if you'll say the same thing about the next guy. The Royals Adalberto Mondesi going at number pick number 40. Third round, pick 11. Andrew, I know you have strong feelings about this guy. I've winded it up, and now I'm setting it down. Go. Yeah, I I definitely don't like him here. It's it's just way too high. I I hate his approach at the plate. He strikes out too much. He doesn't walk enough. Um, the one thing I will say for him is I do think there will be steals. But everything else I just don't like. The Royals lineup is bad. The park is bad. I think that there's risk with how bad his on-base percentage is. Just, just to give you a glimpse into this, he's had about 2,500 career at bat since he turned pro so like back through the minors all the way up till now including the majors through all that time his career slash line batting average on base percentage and slugging are all three worse than tim anderson just to give you an idea so so anybody that likes raul mondesi that says Tim Anderson has a bad plate approach or approach at the plate. Like just cut that right now. I mean, it just doesn't that that can't fly. It's it's terrible, man. It's just it's a terrible spot. It's a bunch of hype off of a half season that was great. I will give him that. It was great, and his his hard hit is pretty good. So I'll I'll give him that when he does make contact. It's not bad or anything, but. I just think there's risk here of this guy moving down in the lineup. And then all of a sudden, your third-round pick is hitting in the bottom third of the Royals lineup. Witt last year completely raked for the whole season. And, you know, we know how good Witt is. And everybody's taking Witt in, like, the 2-3 wheel or whatever. And, you know, he's just good across the board and has been for the last couple of years. He had 148 runs plus RBI you would expect him to have more than Mondesi just because he's a better hitter than Mondesi. So it's like, I don't get what you're really expecting here with runs and ribbies. Yeah, it's just a total mess. I I hate it. I can't even say how much I hate it. I just don't like it. There's, <laughs> there's another guy down the list. Like, the other thing is, too, is VR. You can take Jonathan VR about 35 picks later. And it's the same exact guy. Like, what is different? What is the difference between Adalberto Mondesi and Jonathan VR? There, there's no difference. Well, VR I, went 2060 already. He's right. done that. Yes. And he takes a walk. And he takes a walk. Yep. I don't get, like, if Mondesi was going where VR was going, you know, I think it's like around pick 75 or so. I wouldn't be saying this stuff. I, w- I wouldn't be saying it. I would say I'm okay with it here. Because I would be. At that point, it's cool. But he's going to pick 40. Like, there's just no real reward to be had here. He's not a good hitter. Major league pitchers, they figure you out. They figure out guys that aren't good hitters. That's what they do. And if you don't think they can figure out Mondesi and he's just going to keep on the, you know, you're just going to extrapolate his stats from last year into a full season... Good luck to you. I mean, if I'm wrong, I'll be the first to admit it, but 
there's no way I'm taking him here. It's terrible. Sorry. Your turn. Tell me how you truly feel about Raul yeah. Mondesi. I, can't, yeah. I don't want to say Adabardo anymore. Yeah. Uh, let me ask this. You saying that just brought had me gave me an interesting question here. Let's say Mondesi falls in a draft, and you're there with him and VR at the same spot in round in round seven or eight. Which one would you rather have, straight up? It's really close. I would probably take VR. Yeah. It's, clo- it's close. It is close. I-, I would be kind of flipping a coin. I do think that Mondesi has a little bit more upside than VR. I will admit that. But I've seen VR steal 60-plus in the majors, and it's just yeah. a little bit more like, like you said, he can take a walk a little bit better. and I don't. Uh, I just don't trust Mondesi. I just don't like him. But, yeah, I, I think once you enter that 75 range pick-wise – where VR is at, it is a debate. I think that's a good question and a more fair question than comparing him to the guys that he's going around right here because this is crazy. These next, these next several guys, or especially these next two, and one that's a little further down, I just I don't understand how he can go ahead of them. But I think I would go VR too because of the safety of the walks. I've said this before on other podcasts. Guys who don't walk scare me because you can really go through some serious slumps whenever you're swinging at everything. Yeah. I actually traded Mondesi. I had him in a dynasty league and I moved him this off season and I felt like I got full value. I moved him in a package to get Correa and bought, which was buying low on Correa. My honest opinion is if you have a guy like Mondesi on your roster Moving him right now, it's almost like in poker. If you got a pair of pocket queens or pocket kings and you push all in and you end up running into pocket aces or somebody hits an ace, that doesn't mean it wasn't the right move. But it's just more often than not, you'll probably be right. Yeah. Yeah. And I get I get that there could be, you know, like I just got done saying with Trey about the elite steals, and I get, I get that there could be elite steals here, but there's just so much risk everywhere else. Every single other thing is just there's risk to me across the board, and I think there's guys later in the draft that you can wait on that will give you close to the upside in steals that Mondesi does. Maybe not quite what you know his because. His ceiling for steals is high. I'll give him that. But everything else with those guys, with a lot of them, is better. Just not for me. But, yeah, once again, this is one of those guys that's very split in the fantasy community. It's There's people that are hardcore all about Mondesi and think that he's like a first has first-round upside. And then there's people who are totally out on him at this price. And most people are really firm you know, strong in one group or the other. So it's obviously, it's obviously clear which one I'm in. You're definitely right. It's one way or the other. And we're both seem to be on the other (laughs) with him. Uh, The one last thing I'm going to add is he struck out 26 and a half percent of the time last year with a 3.8% walk rate. There's always a chance that that K rate goes back up and pushes back towards 30, which is what he had been 
in the upper levels or of the minors and in the major leagues in the last couple of years, he had shown that a few times. And if that happens, he's still not walking much. You could be getting a low two hundreds batting average with a two sixty on base. And even though the Royals are bad, they could send that down to the minor leagues and think, okay, you're not hitting. You need some more seasoning. We've seen this happen with Buxton where the last couple of years, Buxton is like his defense is going to keep him in the lineup. And next thing we know, he's in the minor leagues. And it could easily happen with Mondesi, too. The other thing I hear people say, and I will give some respect to this angle of it, is the Royals should be bad. And more than likely, they're just going to let him play through whatever struggles. Because they don't, they don't really have much that's any better than him. So that is an argument for him that, I suppose I'm willing to listen to, but yeah, it's just, it's just not good. It's over his, like I said, the 2,500 at bats roughly that he's had his career on base percentage over all that time is under 300. It's just terrible. Like that's so terrible. That's a nine hitter. Yeah. And, and I, you know, you grab all those 2,500 at bats to show it's, it's not a small sample really. I mean, this is a large sample. That's like a four-season, you know, full season in the major league sample of time where his on base is under 300. It's just it's horrible. I'm done. Are we? <laughs> well, let's talk more about Mondesi. What do you think of yeah. him? Okay, I think we'll move on. Well, maybe I should have titled this, We Hate Raul Mondesi as the title for this <laughs> podcast and just talked about him for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. all right we'll move on to number eight and nine i'm gonna put them together because their adp is a pick apart and that's xander bogarts and carlos correa two guys whose careers kind of went different directions last year which would you rather have between these two uh, i would take correa of the two mostly because i think they're both okay Mostly just because I think that if one of the two of them is really going to go next level and have like that third rounder that turns into a first rounder type MVP caliber season, I think it's Correa over Bogarts. So that's why I would take him. But they're both solid picks here. It's, it's fine. They're actually going in the fourth round. So, yeah. But yeah, that's that's kind of my reasoning. I just think I think Correa has higher upside. Yeah, it feels like Bogarts is almost near his ceiling here, while Correa, he's coming off of a awful year and for on his standard, he had the back issue that was bothering him most of the year, and he was I think he was saying that his back feels like it's a hundred and twenty percent now, so best shape of his life, but. He was out there in batting practice there early in the spring training when he was taking some swings and really get making some good contact. And he was talking afterwards about how last year he couldn't hit a ball like that. He hadn't hit a ball like that in a year because his back had been bothering him so much. I'm optimistic for the rebound in terms of him getting back to being the superstar that I think he is capable of. And I say back, he really hasn't hit those ceilings that I still think he's capable of. It was going real well for him in 2017. 
He had 24 home runs in basically two-thirds of a season at 109 games. And I think it was a broken hand, if I recall right. I could be wrong, but a broken hand late in the year that sapped the rest of his season. And he was playing at an MVP level at that time. And last year, it just I feel like you just take the numbers from last year and you throw them away because there was obviously an injury bothering him. I kind of felt that way about Bryce Harper in 2016 when he was having the shoulder problem. And I we'll get to third base later, but I feel that way about Chris Bryant last year. Sometimes when these guys are hurt, you just and you can tell that they're getting through and it's affecting their play. You just throw those numbers out if they're sounding like they're healthy. And while I'm going to be watching him closely this spring to see how much he's playing and how he's looking out there, not really so much the performance, the numbers, but just seeing that he's out there playing and feeling loose, saying that he feels good. I'm I'm taking him at this point just because I really like the idea of or possibility of him out out producing this ADP. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see it. I I think that they're close. Steamer projections have Bogarts for a little higher average and a few more steals. Correa with a little more power. I think Correa's projection is a little conservative when you consider his upside, but there's actually a guy a little farther down this list that I think there's an argument for to waiting beyond these guys because I think that he's similar to these two and he's going much later. Yeah, I think they're both all right here. But yeah, I would I would take Correa of the two. I would definitely take the over on that projection for his batting average, 264. Uh, I, I think he's a better hitter than that. I think yeah. last year was injury-related. We haven't really gone into Bogarts yet, and we'll move on to him since we've just mostly talked Correa there. Jacob Dobbenmeyer asked on Facebook, Xander is hitting his prime and is on his upswing. What do you think his top-end potential is? Uh, I would say 300. I think he can hit 300. I think home runs, I would probably cap him at like 25 to 28. I guess it's not impossible. He hits 30. I, I would just be real. I would be surprised. I would be pretty surprised if he hit 30, like really surprised. Actually, last year he hit 23. I, I think he could go up a little from that, but yeah, I would probably cap him at mid to upper 20s. And, you know, yeah, the runs and ribbies are going to be there in Boston's lineup. He'll chip in a few steals, too. So I don't, yeah. think, it's a, I don't think it's a lot more than what he's, what he's done, though, I guess. I, I don't think he's one of these guys that has crazy ceiling. I just He doesn't come off to me as one of those guys. But that said, he's productive, and he's hitting in the middle of Boston's lineup. So there's really no... Uh, you can't really complain. He did miss some time early last year with an injury. The previous couple of years, he had played 10, 20 more games. So I do think he could hit more than that 23, especially because there was a lot of talk early last year that he had some major swing adjustments, and that allowed him to really jump on some fastballs. I owned him in a dynasty last year, and I, so I was watching a lot. Every time he had a home run, I'd go watch the replay. And it seemed like it would be him ahead of the count and them trying to just get a fastball over. And he would just jump it and knock it out of the park in left field. And I do think that that was part of that swing adjustment. I do think this is the new Bogarts. I do think he's capable of getting 25 to 30 home runs. But I also agree that he doesn't have the upside of Correa, who I think could win an MVP and hit 35 
plus home runs at his peak. Yep, I agree with all that. Number 10 is Glaber Torres. We brought him up on the second base podcast, so we're going to keep moving on and get to number 11, Jean Segura. That is pick 65. That's the middle of the fifth round. Segura had 20 steals last year, but he was also caught 11 times. That's a big red flag for me personally, as he's starting to get up there in years. He's coming up on being 29 here in about a month. I don't think I'm too keen on him at this ADP. He's he strikes out at a re- really low clip, and that's good. But his walk rate's never been up there much. He feels like it's the profile of a high batting average is going to be there, but a OBP that could struggle. And with them bringing more and more bats in and competing right now, now Harper's there. They've got a lot of OBP guys. And we talked about Cesar Hernandez, who may be hitting at the bottom of the lineup, but I think I'd rather see Hernandez up there in the leadoff spot if I'm a Phillies fan over him. Where are you at on Segura this year? Uh, I think I'm I'm just so-so, really. I This does feel a little high, I think. The one thing I will say is I like him better. He's way better at batting average leagues than on base. Yep. 287 hitter for his career. That's really good over the amount of games and years that he's played. He does have 20-plus steals in five straight seasons. Actually, actually more than that. I stand corrected. At least six. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you kind of want, typically, you know, it's, it's less common for players just across the board to have more steals than home runs. So finding those guys is kind of interests me at different points during the draft. I'm not sure if he's one of those guys. It is It is a better, uh, well, I think it'll be a better lineup than he had with Seattle last year. It was a pretty good lineup there, too, I guess. But, yeah, OBP, he just drops off because he just doesn't walk. So it's kind of a weird one here, like stuck kind of in between uh, Bogarts and Correa. And then this next this next guy, it's kind of almost like, awkward a little bit i don't really know i i do feel like it's probably not for me at this price in the middle of the fifth but in the batting average league i mean he does provide you with average and steals which there aren't a lot of guys that do that so my fear with segura if he gets if he's stealing 20 bases last year and getting caught 11 times let's say he starts struggling with his success percentage this year even if he's hitting at the top of the lineup they could pull the reins in on him because they have so many guys behind him that are on-base percentage monsters that you don't want a guy running if he's not going to be getting on, making it two-thirds of the time. That's not good enough in today's game to where I could easily see that 20 moving back down to 10 to 15 if he struggles with the success rate early in the year. Yeah, it's that's a good point, too, with the on-base. it's I hadn't even thought about this, but it's almost kind of like what we were saying with Trey. You could see now with Harper there, more so now with Harper there, you could see uh, a scenario kind of where there's a chance he could move down in the lineup if you know a few things broke right. He may not. I mean, they've got him slotted at two right now on roster resource, but he, uh, he may not stick there. It's... it's it's such a good lineup now. It's tough to say. It, it's definitely going to be difficult. When you're in a lineup like that, you just 
you have to keep producing or they're going to bump guys up and you're going to get moved down. And, you know, if his OBP gets more funky than it already is, you, you never know. Number 12 at 87, we're talking the end of the fifth round, is Corey Seager with the Dodgers. He fell in drafts due to having Tommy John surgery last year. On track to be ready for opening day, coaches are saying that his rehab couldn't have gone any more smooth. Does this injury and drop in price make a buying opportunity for him, though? Because this seems low compared to the last couple of years. And it'd be one thing if it was a injury that should linger, but Tommy John surgery, guys come back and they're just like before. And I do get that people were saying that he was pretty overrated in drafts the last couple of years, but this seems like it's too far the other way. Yep. This is uh this is one of my favorite guys this year. Probably my first or second favorite on this entire list. He's the guy I was talking about when we were mentioning Bogarts and Correa. It's just He's going 40 picks after them, roughly, 38 to 40 picks after them. So, you know, that's about two and a half rounds, a little more than two and a half rounds in a 15-team league. And I just don't really think there's much of a difference. I guess if, I guess the injury stuff, but I'm just not worried about it. I think he's going to be fine. Just to give you an idea, so... This is, this is something that interested me a while back. I was looking at the steamer projections on Correa and Seager, and I'm just going to read them off. So Correa, they've got a 264 average, which we both mentioned we think is, is maybe a little low, but just, just this is just giving you an idea. 264 average for Correa, 284 for Seager. 23 home runs for both. Four steals for both. And then they've got Seager for 13 extra runs, 90 to 77. And they've got Correa for eight extra ribbies, so 82 to 74. So those kind of cancel out. It's, it's the same guy based on their projections. And, you know, steamer projections are – it's a highly respected system. I mean, it's – they do have Correa projected for about 50 less plate appearances. I don't know if, you know, you could argue all day whether that's fair or not, but – the point of it all, though, whether you agree with those stat lines or not, the biggest point of it to me is that he's going this much later than those guys. I, that's why I love him. That's the argument against taking Correa and Bogarts is that you can get Seager 40 picks later, and he's arguably the same guy. I do think Correa has higher ceiling, and if one of these guys completely blows up, it's probably Correa. But I think Seager's pretty safe. I think he's a really good hitter. He's going to hit the top of a good lineup or, you know, near the top. And, yeah, I, I love him. I like him a lot this year. I'm with you. I think he's – it's a nice value three rounds later than those other guys. Sean Kalavig asked the question on Facebook, can Seager or Correa return first or second round value in 2019? I'll go first here. Uh, I think we've already talked about both pretty well here to where I do think Correa does have the potential to be a first-round caliber player. I don't think Seager quite has that ceiling, but I still think Seager has a second-round value ceiling, maybe two, three-wheel-ish spot if things really break right. Yeah, I, I agree for the most part. I think Correa's ceiling is higher, and yeah, I do think he could return top two-round value. Seager... That would probably be pushing it, but 
It wouldn't completely shock me. I did think that Seager was overrated in the past when he was going, you know, but he's always just gone way higher than this. Third, you know, early fourth round was like where he was going. And now he's going at the back of the fifth. Yeah, I just, I don't really worry about this injury affecting him. Or maybe I'm underrating the impact of what it will do, but I just, I don't really think it's going to affect him that much. I think he's going to be fine. So, yep. I like, I, I like them both. I like them both. I just, I like Seeger more, I guess, for this year specifically just because of his price. So, I'm with you. That's a good price right there. Number 13 is Jose Peraza at 90, pick 92. That's when the seventh round. And Peraza is the biggest reason why I don't like Segura. It, kind of similarly how you feel about Seager and Correa. I feel that way about Peraza and Segura here. Peraza doesn't walk, doesn't strike out, just like Segura. 37 home runs plus steals. Hits for a high average. He contributes in four or five categories, RBI being the only thing that's a negative. I see a lot to like here in terms from a 24-year-old who it could still be on his way up. Segura and him, I feel like, are the same guy, and you could get this guy basically two rounds later. Yeah, I, I know you'd mentioned that to me before, and I, I see it kind of too. I, this is, uh, those are kind of guys I think that I'm taking if I need the steals at the stage of the draft where they're going. But yeah, I can see just waiting on Segura and taking Peraza if you like him or, or whatever. There's actually a guy or a couple guys much later that I would probably, if I had that type of mentality where I wanted steals out of this spot, there's a couple guys I'd, I'd wait even further on that we'll get to. But uh, yeah, he's okay here. I mean, he's, he's fine. It's a little more speed than anything else, but not terrible across the board. Doesn't uh, doesn't walk much downgrade in OBP leagues, but very similar. And I agree. I didn't take him in any of my four. I don't have him in any of my four leagues. I like his ADP here a little bit just because he is a few rounds after Segura. But yeah, there are guys later I'd rather invest in. This is kind of the point of this draft right here of these next few. They're not guys that I was targeting in drafts. But I also don't hate their ADP for going there. I was just taking other guys later. I think you could. I think you could also argue that he might Peraza might even have a little bit higher stolen base upside than Segura does. Definitely. So, I like mean, if one of like if one of them's going to steal thirty or something, I I think it's probably Peraza as opposed to Segura. But I agree. Compared to Segura, who was twenty for thirty one, we're talking about Peraza. He was twenty three successful stolen bases, and he was only caught six times. That's much more acceptable for a team with a guy running. We'll move on to Jerks and Profar. We keep saying we're going to skip over him because he plays every position. Since shortstop is his natural position, we're going to talk about him here, even though this is not where he's going to be playing this year. He signed on with Oakland Oakland after having a nice breakout last year in Texas with 20 home runs and 10 stolen bases. And it looks like he's going to play second base which right now he has first base, shortstop, and third base eligibility. And this means he's going to actually have eligibility at all four infield positions. That is a pretty nice thing to have for a guy who can still contribute offensively in a lot of categories also. He's come a long way. He, you know, former 
top prospect in baseball and for a while that it was it took a long time but he's uh he's definitely made it looks like he could be uh productive here for a few years it's going to be interesting because they've Oakland's got a pretty good team he's right now slated to bat at the top of the lineup and he is going to qualify so right now he qualifies at first base shortstop and third base and he's going to play second base at least that's what they're you know forecasting so he should qualify at every single offensive position or infield offensive position all four of them which is really nice because you can obviously move him around especially in like a draft and hold and stuff but yeah it's nice to see him kind of come around because it was a long wait man i used to like that guy and there's there's a small part of me that really appreciates that he's made it because it just it took a long time it felt like it feels like it definitely did right after Harper and Trout came up in 2011 Profar was the next number one prospect it's hard to believe but seven years ago he was the number one prospect now people were saying he might be the number one prospect more because of his total package and and defensively being a shortstop and people weren't expecting him to really become an offensive star. But they did say that, you know, this could be a 15 home run, 25 stolen base guy. And he just, it really, he struggled with injuries and he struggled with performance and he was not getting consistent playing time until last year. And it really felt like he put it all together and he only hit 254 last year. But there's even room for growth here because that 254 was with a 269 batting average on balls in play. I could see him legitimately getting that batting average up towards more like 270, 280. It's po- it's at least possible if he has a little more luck on his side because it's not like this is a slow guy. It's not like he's hitting a ton of balls on the ground. He's, you know, let's see here. He hit 43% on the ground. His hard hit rate's not bad at all. I, I see even possibility of a better batting average. Now, the home runs and steals... Maybe about the same or even a little less, but yeah, I I think a lot of the problem too is just what kind of took him so long was just Texas was it was almost like you know you've got this number one prospect in baseball and they're trying to make him like a utility guy. It just didn't make any sense. I that whole thing was weird to me. Now, granted, they had Andrus there and they had Odor there, and whatever you think of those two guys. Profar wasn't doing enough at the time to move those guys to the bench. So it was kind of difficult. And then obviously Beltre wasn't going anywhere. So it was kind of an odd, just an odd fit. It's, it's just cool to see him now kind of shining through and hopefully he keeps it up. I, I enjoy uh, when stuff like stories like this, it's just, it's cool. It is definitely cool. All right, I'm going to put 15 and 16 together here also because they're pretty similar players in terms of toolsy guys who don't walk much. Tim Anderson and Ahmad Rosario. Tim Anderson has an ADP at 130, and Rosario's at 134. Both of them are going in the second half of the ninth round. Is there one of these that you like more than the other? Uh, Not specifically. I probably would slightly prefer Anderson just because I think that he has more power. But 
I also think that if one of the two is going to take a big step forward, it would probably be Rosario. So, yeah, it's it's pretty close, and their their ADPs are close. That I can see uh, whichever one you want to take. They're similar. They both don't walk, like you said, and have speed. I just think I think Anderson probably has a little bit more power potential. So I'm with you on Anderson. Rosario is interesting because first half of last year was pretty disastrous for him. He had going into the All-Star break, he had four home runs and six stolen bases, and that stolen six steals was five times getting caught. And then in the second half, it's like he put it all together, and in 63 games, he had another five home runs, but he had 18 stolen bases out of 24 attempts. And I think that is what has people on board with him. They're thinking, well, the second base, second half might be his launching point, and he could be a 30 to 40 stolen base guy. Yeah, you could look at that, but you could also look at the first half and say, oh, maybe he's a 15 to 20 stolen base guy who just had a real good run. I'm not really too interested in either of them, but I do like the fact that Anderson seems to show a little more pop and his batting average on balls and play was low last year to where I could see him hitting better than 240 this year. Again, he could go through streaks because he doesn't walk, but I think I'd take Anderson. Yeah. The one thing with Rosario, I, I see, uh, I feel like I'm constantly with Rosario going back and forth. There's, there's people who seem like they're really high on him and think that there's this real true star coming and he's going to be something truly special. And there's the other people, you know, like, and I've mentioned this to you before, but there was a guy, I don't remember his name, I don't remember who it was, he posted on the group a while back, is Ahmed Rosario Alcides Escobar. And I laughed at it initially because I just was like oh gosh whatever you know Alcides Escobar is terrible but the more I thought about it and was looking into it I was you know of course you hope that's not what he is and I don't want him to be that either I hope that he's a star because it's just better for the game but I could also see it being one of those guys where just people just have faith because he's young and He's got a ways to go as a hitter still. I mean, he just does. So if he and if he doesn't make those adjustments and get better, like keep getting better, he could just be pretty blah, like going into his, you know, in a few years. I I can and I can like I said, I go back and forth. I see both arguments. I really do. I I see the argument for him and I see the argument against him. And I, I feel like I'm constantly in my mind thinking one way and then I think the other way it's just it feels like it's all the time you know Escobar Alcides he had a little bit of a run there for a bit where he was actually pretty fantasy friendly in terms of a back-end starter for a lot of teams I'm trying to pull it up right now but 2012 he had five home runs 35 steals four home four home runs 26 steals in 2011 stole another 30 in 2014 he had a little bit of a run there and when you look at his stats from those seasons, you think, okay, that could be who he is. It's a interesting question when you really dig in and look at it. He's got to learn to take walks more. That's the thing. Because yeah, guys who don't 
they've got a limited that limits their ceiling unless they just have freak tools. The obvious argument for Rosario, or one of the arguments too, is just his age. I mean, he was he was only twenty two all season last year, so he's he's just a baby, you know. And I think that's where you can kind of see more growth with Rosario than you can with Anderson at this point because Anderson's older. But that said, you know, Anderson was twenty twenty last year, so Rosario's going to need to. It, it's some of that growth is built into the price, I guess, is the best way of saying it. And the Mets, one last thing to throw in there, the Mets are playing to win now. And if he has a rough first half whenever they're competing and they have some depth in that infield now, they could possibly move some parts around. And I don't, I think Jed Lowry could still play shortstop if, in a, if needed to where I wouldn't put it past them if he struggles enough for them to put him to move him to the bench or triple A again. Yeah, I I don't agree with that, but I don't think you don't. Anybody, no, no, I don't think he's getting moved. Not this year. No, I don't. For one, I don't think Lowry can really play short. But I think Rosario. I think Rosario's good enough in the field that he'll he'll play out there, and he's still young enough that they're not gonna just yank him because there's there's really nobody else on there in that's a shortstop that they have that's like knocking on the door, you know, that's gonna take his spot. It's just I just wonder if he's going to continue to make those improvements because he definitely needs to make them. He had a below average WRC plus eighty five. I mean, just he's just not that good of a hitter yet. But that doesn't mean that he can't become one for sure. I guess if Flowery can't play, you're right about the rest of them can't because Cano, JD Davis, Todd Frazier. Yeah, you're the the rest of them are corners. Okay, number 17 is Elvis Andrews at 169. We're talking the 12th round, so moving back a couple more rounds here. Crazy that he's this far, considering where he was last year, where people were actually taking him in the third round. And now, with some injuries last year, a rough season, he's moved all the way down here to where he's in the 12th round. He had an elbow injury. That's what really seemed to hurt, hurt his ability to drive the ball. He had an offseason to get healthy. Could you see this being a rebound? Well, I'm just kind of neutral on this one. I, I think he's going about where he should now. That third, fourth round stuff was completely absurd. Now we're back to normal levels here with him. And I, I think he could be... A value here. I mean, he doesn't excite me. He's kind of boring. You know, he's not young. He doesn't have a lot of power. He doesn't have a lot of speed. He did have some more speed in the past. I don't know how much of that is still there. He's just kind of okay across the board. It's not an exciting pick, but it's a floor pick, and it's like round 12, so I don't really have an issue with it. You know, I wasn't on board with that third round price, but I was intrigued by him still and curious because Two years ago, he had had the big swing change, and that led to those 20 home runs with 25 stolen bases, and injuries hurt him last year. I'm really curious to see if he stays healthy this year, what his home run total is. Will 2017 be that Joe Maurer MVP season where everything else is looks is under 10, and there was that one year, or can he get back to that? I don't hate it at this price for sure. I think... I, I didn't get him anywhere, but I wouldn't hesitate to take him here. But on that same note, there's a couple guy. There's a guy two picks down, two 
players down that I know you and I both love. So he's not really been my target even at this point, but I don't see it as a bad pick if you're not in on the one we're going to talk about here in a bit. What would you put for Elvis Andrews home runs? What would be your number? If you had to, if you were telling me, if you had to put an exact number on it, I'm going to hedge. That's fine. And I'm going to say 12 to 15 if he's healthy for a full year. I probably would, at this price, you're not really taking him to have to get to that point if he's Pick still... one number. Pick one number. Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot here. 14. I was going to say 12, so we're close. Okay. Yeah, we're not too far apart then. It's just all about... Is that swing change legit? Was that? And I'm looking, let's see, Steamer's got him projected for nine. Most everybody else seems like they've got him for anywhere between 10 and 14. So I'm on the high end there. I hope for his sake that that was just an injury related thing and he actually can get back to being a star if that's because he was a star in 2017. 2025, 20 home runs, 25 steals. That's awesome. But we'll see. I will say this. If you think that Andrews can get you 20 steals, I think it's a really good pick here. Because if he hits, let's just say, 10 to 12 homers and 20 steals, that's Jose Peraza. That's Gene Segura. And it's way later. I mean, now you're talking 100 picks later. The thing is, though, is I don't think he's going to get that. I don't think he's going to get those steals that he used to. You know, he was, for a stretch there, it was 20, you know, mid-20s every year. And then he had the one year he popped up to 40, like, you know, 2013. But several years where he was, like, mid-20s, I just don't think he's even going to get to 20 at this point. But if he does, it's it's a good pick here, for sure, because you figure 10 homers, 20 steals. And like I said, that's that's what those guys do, so... You have to wonder why he wasn't stealing bases last year. Because if it was an elbow injury, that shouldn't affect you running. And he, in right. 97 games, only stole five bases out of eight attempts. He was not running much. Yeah, it's strange. It's weird. Eduardo Escobar is next up. Shortstop and third base eligible at 178 overall. He re-signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks after being traded there in the middle of the year. Signed a three-year, $21 million deal with them. He's had two consecutive seasons of 20-plus home runs now. I kind of think he's a solid but unspectacular player when I look at him. I don't think this is a guy I'm really targeting for this spot. Do you feel differently? Yeah, solid but unspectacular is pretty much nail on the head. Last couple of years, I've got, or I got him in uh, redraft last year, I think it was. Just off waivers. Somebody got hurt or whatever, you know, and picked him up. And Yeah, he's productive. Uh, he's one of those guys I always kind of thought was a utility guy, and then all of a sudden he's like productive. It's just strange. He was even a little bit better last year than he was the year before. So, I mean, at this spot, it's round 13 or whatever. It's If you need a little bit of pop need a middle infielder he's fine he's he's not really my my style but he's all right yeah i agree he's not really too bad right here but i also he's not one i'm targeting but i don't see a problem with taking him here because he's got capabilities if you're hitting in the low 20s and home runs 
that's a not a bad player, and it's a poor man's Corey Seager. We we referred to Corey Seager as kind of a slightly poor man's version of Carlos Correa, except three rounds later, and this is a lot later. I'm not saying he's as close to Seager as Seager is Correa, but when you look at it that way, being a, almost 100 picks later, that's not bad. But again, I think we'll just move on to the next guy because I know that's the guy we're both waiting to talk about. Number 19, Garrett Hampson of the Colorado Rockies with an ADP of 183. And I'll say this, he's not going at 183 in any draft you or I are in. 38 steals in 2018, huge walk rates, acceptable strikeout rates. He's supposed to go into the year as the starting second baseman. He is in competition with Ryan McMahon for at-bats. And Brendan Rodgers is close. And they're even saying that he's in the competition here. There's pressure on the bat to perform now, but there's some incredible upside. Yep, Hampson is uh, Hampson's my guy. I I think he's probably my favorite value among all hitters this year, all of them. You know, if I had an article that said like my guys for 2019, he would be in the picture for sure. I. I love him here. It, it's 183 overall. It's the 13th round. I will say I took him today in the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational in the 11th round. It was like pick 160, so it was higher than this. His ADP is 183, just to make sure I got him. I do understand there's a little bit of risk with will he win the job or not. Uh, I, I think that that risk is a little exaggerated. I think he should get it. But it is there, and I'm willing to uh, to admit that. The thing that I just love about him is he hits, he gets on base, and he steals tons of bases. Last three years, 2016, he stole 36. 2017, he stole 51. And 2018, he stole 38, 36 in the minors and then two in the majors. Uh, he doesn't really get caught either. So, I mean, he's a good base stealer. His career OBP in the minors is 389, so he's constantly getting on base. This is just one of those rare types. Like, there's not a lot of guys, and I said it before when we talked about, you know, who mentioned Xavier Edwards. It was the same idea. It's just on-base percentage plus stolen bases. There's not a lot of guys that that do that, and it's just a it's a sweet combo. He, and not to mention Coors Field. Rockies lineup, you know, all those things. It's just really the, the only true concern I guess you can give me that I'll listen to is if he doesn't win the job, then what? And, and it's a viable concern, but in the spot where he's at here, this ADP in the 13th round, if that's all it is, I mean, I'm willing to take that all day. You, you, you miss, people miss on 13th round picks all the time. You know, you're, if you go back and look at a draft at the end of the year, and you look around that range in the draft, half the people are missing on those picks. I mean, they're, uh, people that win leagues are missing on those picks. So it, it's not a huge deal if you whiff. And I think that his, I mean, he's got 30-plus steal upside, I think, with a good batting average. Love him. You said he's had a good success rate in those 38 steals last year. He was only caught five times. And another interesting thing, He's now been in the going through the pro ball since the beginning of 2016, and his lowest 
walk rate he's had at any level was in AAA last year. In 72 games, he had a 9% walk rate. Everything else was above that. This yeah. guy knows how to control the zone. You almost look. I I look at him similar to Adam Eaton, except with all, uh, except with D Gordon. Maybe not D Gordon, but that level of speed. I guess maybe it is D Gordon. Maybe yeah, not. Or eighty percent of D Gordon. Yeah, it's not. It's not that far off. I agree. It's not D Gordon, but it's it's not that far off. It's like it's a fit thirty six fifty one and thirty eight. I mean, are we just? pushing that to the side i don't really i get that the rockies don't uh they're not always the kindest to young players i understand that it's just when you think about all the different things here it, assuming he is in the lineup and obviously that's very important but man the upside here i just i feel like this could be a guy that hits 10 to 12 home runs maybe steals 30 to 40 bases and hits for a good average, you know? And it, yeah, some, some would maybe say that that's his ceiling, but what's the ceiling of these other guys going in this range? Like we're at pick 180, you know, it doesn't, it's, and I will say this, I don't expect this to happen, but if somehow he were to get to the top of that lineup, uh-huh. it's, it's over. I mean, it's, that's it. I mean, he's going, he's going to go crazy. He's going to win people leagues. I mean, if he, if he, now the top of the lineup is packed because you've got Blackman, Murphy, Arenado, Dahl, Story, those five probably aren't going anywhere. But the other thing to keep in mind is Blackman's a year older, could start getting dinged up. You know, you never know. Murphy has been dinged up recently and David Dahl was born dinged up. (laughs) So any of those guys, you know, if there's any opening where Hampson's playing well and he gets up near the top of that lineup, it could really start going bananas. If if we're sitting here a year from now and Hampson's a third-round pick, I won't even bat an eye. I, I think no. that there's that type of potential. He just needs a shot and needs to be in that lineup every day. And yeah, it, it's kind of one of those things where you're betting on the skill set more than you're betting on the role. Like, I don't like just thinking about someone's role and for, forgetting what they actually do. And I'm just betting on the skill set here. I, I like the combination. I like what he brings to the table, especially in this spot of the draft. Again, it's the biggest thing. It's, it's after pick 180. And, and like I said, I took him at 160 today. I was happy doing it. Yeah, I, I love him. We could go on. This is like the opposite of Mondesi, where we could go on. <laughs> We could go, we could go on all day about how much we love Gary Hampson. We probably should move on, but nope, I haven't gotten talk enough yet. So we're not, (laughs) we're not done. (laughs) If there's an injury and he works his way even temporarily into the top of that lineup, they may love him enough and just stick with it because every other guy you mentioned, those are guys that can hit in the middle of the lineup. Hampson, his skill set belongs at the top of a lineup with that on base percentage with it. I love this guy. I've got him in two of both of my redraft leagues. I have him. Uh, he could be a league winner. It's like you said, he could be in the third round. D. Gordon was a second round pick. And yep. this guy's providing, he may not get the steals D had, but he also can chip in 10 plus home runs. Plus, 
he's going to be scoring a ton of runs from getting on base as much as he is in that lineup to where if he works his way to the top of the lineup, yeah, this is a league winner. Yeah, and the other another thing I will say is if it doesn't work out, and I can't stress this enough, because I had somebody message me the other day and say something like, oh, McMahon's going to win the job and blah, blah, blah. And he, and he might, you know, I'm not, I'm not locking this in, but if this does not work out, you whiffed on your 13th round pick. If you can't do well in your league because you missed on a 13th round pick, there's other problems. It's not Garrett Hampson. He's not, he's not going to, you're not going to lose your league because you missed here. And the thing is. McMahon and Brendan Rodgers are reserve round players that you could grab and cover right. yourself in case this happens. I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my last piece of advice. I've drafted Hampson in both leagues. I have Brendan Rodgers, I think, in both leagues on my bench just in case it goes wrong. I don't think I took McMahon, but again, that's another guy you can draft there. I think I may have taken him in one of the two. To where yeah. you can protect yourself and have those at-bats. Because no matter who's starting at second base for Colorado, it's a good guy to own if they're getting the lion's share of the at-bats. Yeah. And I I, uh, I did that in my NFBC draft and hold. I took I took Hampson. I, I want to say it was round 11. And then I took Rodgers in like round 27. Just, just in case. You know, you never know. One thing, another thing I'll say, long-term... I'm not quite as big on him because I do think there will come a point. In fact, I know there will come a point unless there's a trade where Rogers comes into that whole mix. Obviously they locked Arenado up. So he's got third story should have short for a long time or at least for a while. And Rogers is going to play at some point. I, I don't think it'll be this year, but if Hampson doesn't get off on the right <clears throat> foot this year, if he starts off slow or doesn't get the job right away, you know, a couple things like that, I'm not quite as big on him long term for those reasons. Because at least until maybe he performs and Rogers is moved or something, because I think there needs to be a trade in there somewhere. But, but yeah, this year I'm all about him at this price. Yeah. So you know what else I like about Garrett Hampson? What's yeah. that? Uh, I think I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't say enough. <laughs> no, I think we've. I think we're gonna have to mark that one down for everybody to know exactly when to go and maybe even when it ends. Just because if you don't like Garrett Hampson, we may drive you nuts talking that long about him. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure McMahon will win the job and we'll be tagged, <laughs> we'll be tagged in 50 posts. <laughs> All those reviews on iTunes won't be so pretty. Yeah. All right, Paul DeYoung at number 20 among shortstops at 184. 2018, he brought his walk rate up, at least to a respectable 7%. Regressed to 19 home runs, but that was also because he had a fractured hand and missed a good chunk of the year. He's very capable of 25 to 30 home runs, especially because when he makes contact, he makes loud, hard contact. I'm not targeting him, I wouldn't say. I haven't grabbed him anywhere. Last year, I was completely out on him because I don't like guys who walk that little and have a K rate up at 28% like he showed in that sample size in 2017. But 
both of them improved to where I don't think this is as bad of a pick as I thought a year ago. Yeah, he's he's just kind of whatever to me. He's got some pop. Thing is, I, I think I've mentioned it before, but like when you're a middle infielder with no speed, I feel like you have to be a good hitter. I'm not sure Paul DeYoung's a good hitter, but he does have a little more power than typical guys at this position do. So if that's what you need and it's that point in the draft, it's hard to really argue with picks after pick 180, you know. So I don't have a real issue with it. Probably not my guy, but. Yeah, I don't think I'd call DeYoung one of my guys either, but I also don't hate it there. But number 21 is definitely one of my guys. Jorge Polanco, who's got an ADP of 198, we're talking 13th or 14th round. Polanco missed the first half of the year after getting busted for PEDs. Of some sort, last spring, he was really seeming like he was struggling. And even whenever he came back, it seemed like he got off to a real slow start, but finished real strong. Six home runs, seven stolen bases in that half season. 288 batting average with a little bit of luck on the BABIP, but... I see this guy as a guy who could possibly be 15-15 if everything clicks right for him. I still feel like there's another level that he has in him. And 15-15 is a pretty valuable to have for a shortstop that's all the way down here. Yeah, yeah, I know this is definitely one of your guys. I I don't mind him here at all, actually. It's pretty solid across the board. I mean, nothing that jumps out at you completely but he does he's one of those guys he's not going to hurt you anywhere like his batting average isn't going to hurt you could even potentially help you a little bit of pop a little bit of speed I always had questions with him in the past just if he was going to hold down the job and if they viewed him as a as a starter going forward I I think that they do and He's got a good opportunity this year. I actually didn't realize this until right now, but they've got him slated to lead off at this moment, which is that's that's really interesting because you know their their lineup's not bad. I mean, they that's interesting. If if he was to stick there, yeah, I mean, I I can definitely see getting behind him at this price. I I would I would definitely be more likely to take him than somebody like DeYoung. The the only thing that I think DeYoung will be better than him is just home runs, but he's an interesting player for sure. Contributes across the board, so you got to like that. Leading off, and Nelson Cruz is there now, and Nelson Cruz knows how to bring people in. I like him. Yeah, yeah, he's got some thumpers behind him. And I forgot to ask the question. Hernan Cortez Batista asked on the Facebook group, is Polanco a breakout for 20, is he possible for 20 home runs and 15 steals? I say, yeah, I do think those are ceilings, but I do think he's capable of that under a full season if everything clicked right. Yeah, yeah, I mostly agree. I, th- I think 20 home runs is pushing it a little bit, but uh, yeah, I, I think that he could get... It's one of those things where it, it's across-the-board production where it's like if he just ticks up a little bit in each one, you know, like let, we think of him as 15 and 15. If he could get to like 18 and 18... I mean, that starts getting real interesting, you know? So, yeah, I, I think you could call that a breakout or at least somebody that's, uh, you know, just a sleeper. He's a good, he's in a good spot here around pick 200. So, Somebody who could beat their ADP, and that's yeah. what you're looking for. 
number 22, I'm going to give some good and bad for Willie Adamas with the Tampa Bay Rays got called up last year in his rookie year. He had 85 games. He hit 278 with 10 home runs and six steals. That's the good. The bad was his strikeout rate was near 30%. His BABIP was 30, 378, and he had a ground ball rate up over 30, 52%. I personally look at all that and mix that in with a fly, home run to fly ball rate. That was 17%, and I'd say buyer beware on this one. Yeah, with, uh, with Adamus, I don't know. He just doesn't, he doesn't really excite me that much. I think he's just kind of okay at everything. I guess you could say that about Polanco, but I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit more juice in Polanco's numbers potentially than than Adamus. I just I just don't really feel like he does anything that stands out. He, he's okay across the board. He is young. You can hope that he makes some improvements, but I don't think that there's much power or much speed. I don't know. His average could be okay, but I think that that 278 was inflate, BABIP inflated. Yeah, I'm just I'm just not really into him. And, it, and it's weird because it's one of those guys that this is like a classic guy of if you look at prospect lists when you're in Dynasty League, this guy was, he was ranked high. I want to say he was around 20 to 25 on some prospect yep. lists and and granted, he's still young and could, can still get better. I don't want to. I don't want to act like he can't. But um, I could also see this just being one of those guys that, one of those guys that's just a forever middle infielder in fantasy too. I mean, I don't really know what anybody is expecting where the jump's going to be. I mean, I don't think he's a crazy power guy. I don't think he's got crazy speed, and I don't think he's an awesome, awesome hitter. He's just okay at all of that. So it's kind of just like blah. It's it's one of those things. If you ever hear me talk about upside prospects and, you know, trying to take guys that are impactful, this is one of those guys that I feel like you could have sat there and been like, oh, I've got a top 25, 30 prospect, Willie Adamas, and you hang on to him. And then it's like he gets to the major leagues and you're all excited and he's just your middle infielder forever. And it's like, Oh, that's disappointing. I, I could definitely see that with him. I don't want to overreact. He's only 23. He is still young. But I just, I don't really know what's going to jump up in the, in the coming year, like in the next couple of years. But we'll see. They're giving him a shot. So it, he's obviously has the chance and just strikes out a lot. It's, there's some red flags for sure. And this is another one of those guys where, Tampa's got a pretty good roster right now and they can compete and they have infielders that they can move around. If a player's struggling where Adamas has got a hit, or this is a guy who could get moved down and put back in triple a, if he's still striking out at 30% rate and his numbers aren't quite as fortunate. Yeah. Or, or he, he could just be hitting near the bottom of the lineup, which isn't yep, ideal. That That's which isn't ideal either, obviously. So, it's at that spot like these other guys. It's it's low enough that if you like him and or you see something that I don't see, take and you're interested, take him. It's just I'm just kind of blah on him for a young guy. He's just kind of blah to me. And speaking of blah, number twenty three, we got Antonio Simmons with the the Angels at two oh six. 
he had a nice little breakout there a couple years ago with 14 home runs and 19 steals, and it regressed a little bit last year with 11 home runs and 10 steals. Solid ball player, great defender. You'd love to have him on your regular team because of the defense mixed in with that, but in a fantasy league, blah. Yep. I have no interest in Andrelton Simmons in fantasy. Never have. Never will. I just, I mean, he's great to watch as a baseball fan on defense because the some of the plays he makes in the field are unbelievable. But uh, yeah, in fantasy, he's just not for me. He's as boring as boring gets. I'd rather take somebody later. I would wait and take somebody that. I thought had any type of hint of upside. I just, I have no interest in him. This is kind of where we're at in the draft where there's a whole lot of these boring guys that are fine as a late round middle infielder. Or in our case, I've actually, going back to Jorge Polanco, I've put him as my starting shortstop a couple times because I took Garrett Hampson, who is a, who is, I really look at as my second baseman eventually but I put him in the middle infield and I've taken these one of these guys late and had them as my, what I thought of as my starting shortstop or middle infield. And I'm fine with it's a much deeper position than second base. You want one of these guys or earlier to be your middle infielder, but they are pretty blah. Yeah. And carrying on with that theme, we got Marcus Simeon next at two Oh seven, 159 games last year. He did have 15 home runs and 14 steals. He's had some years where he's even been better than that. Steamer still has him projected for 18 home runs and 12 steals. I think I'd rather have him than a few of these guys above him just because he's been a pretty solid producer now for a few years. Yeah, I would take him ahead of Adamas and Simmons in redraft. Um, yep. Not not Adamas in Dynasty, obviously, but uh, yeah, I... You know, we've seen him, even if it was three years ago, we've seen him hit 27 home runs and steal, and he stole 10 bases that year. That's something that we haven't seen any of these other guys even show any glimpse of doing. So, yeah, it's just, I think that there's some pop, and he, he's going to steal like 10 to 15 bases probably. He's in a good lineup. I like Simeon here. I yeah, I definitely, I definitely like him for this price and stuff. I, I like him more than most of these other names, like surrounding him for sure. Agreed. And number twenty-five and twenty-six are guys we've already discussed: Keitel Marte at two ten and Lourdes Gurriel at two fourteen. In case you missed one of our previous shows, if it if their last name is Gurriel, we hate them. Number twenty. <laughs> <laughs> He's number not 20... Nope, nope. We've put plenty of time in so far bashing Guriel's, so we don't need to do that here 27's Chris Taylor who has shortstop and outfield eligibility had a fantastic year in 2017 breaking out with 21 home runs and 17 steals it did go backwards for him and with the strikeouts nearing almost 30 percent and the batting average falling 30 points but even then he still had 17 home runs and nine steals is this a guy that you would be targeting, or is this a guy who, yeah, he's had some real high BABIPs despite his batting average falling to 254. His BABIP was up at 345. Is this a guy you'd take as a middle infielder? Uh, I wouldn't be targeting him, I wouldn't say. I took him in my draft and hold 
I want to say it was round 18. What, what, uh, 218, what would this, my math is bad right now. Uh, this would be round. Yeah. So Taylor was, his ADP is round 15. Now I think I took him in round 18. So yeah, he's shortstop outfield eligible. So there's a little bit of flexibility there. I just remember thinking I needed that at the time with my team and a little bit of pop, a little bit of speed, but it's one of those things. It's like, how much playing time is he going to get? It's a good team. If he struggles, they're going to find somebody that's not. And he's 28, fell off a little bit last year. I don't, I don't think he's a bad hitter, but he, he strikes out a lot. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird combination of, of parts here. I, I think he's okay if, if you want to take him here. I mean, take him. It's, it's late enough. It isn't going to matter. It's not like it's going to kill your team. He doesn't really excite me, but just kind of a glue guy at the end, I guess, would be the best way I could describe him. I don't think he's horrible. No, no. He's, again, he's all right as a middle infield slot. I would take him over some of these guys ahead of him. He was, man, he, he was good a couple years ago when they had him, like, leading off and he was playing a lot. And Yeah, 21 homers, 17 steals. I mean, God, if he could ever get back to that, obviously it's huge, but. I just would strongly bet against it. I don't really see that happening again, but maybe that's I'll be the wrong. Same, that's the same amount of home runs plus steals Ozzy Albies had last year. That's how incredible yeah. this year was yeah, two years ago. Yeah, it was really good. 28's Marwin Gonzalez. Already discussed him. 29 is Drupal Cabrera. Like him for his flexibility but position in a bunch of positions, but we've already discussed him. 30 is Kike Hernandez, who did have 21 home runs in 2018. Was that a fluke? Uh, he could be all right. He's just whatever. I I don't I don't pay him much attention. But yeah, he did have he did have a pretty pretty good season last year, and he walked over ten percent. So that's good. Yeah. If you can keep that up, that'll help. But again, it's one of those things. I I feel like when uh, you're a fringe type of player like this, and you're on a good team. It, there's kind of pressure there to produce because if you're not, they're just going to take, they're going to play the guy that is, you know, that's just, so that's kind of the way I feel like with the Taylor and Hernandez situation. It's like they can, those guys can play multiple positions and stuff where they could wind up just being utility guys, you know, and that part's just kind of hard to predict. It's, it's about hot streaks and cold streaks in season. So, I was going to go with 31 through 40 here, but number 31 is one that I know we need to stop and talk about anyway. So I'll list off 32 to 40 here in a bit, but 31 is Fernando Tatis Jr. with the Padres just had about 50 games or so in double a, let me ask you this. When is Fernando Tatis called up by the Padres? Give me a date. Uh, I am going to, well, I will say this before I'll give you a date here in a second before they signed Machado, I would have said September. I was totally kind of on, on the line of thinking that they're going to hold him down. He may come up at the very end. They're going to play, you know, Uri or Urias and Kinsler this year. 
and just kind of take it easy with Tatis and stuff. Now that they've done the Manny thing, I feel like it speeds it up a little bit. It's purely my speculation. I could be totally wrong, but I just think it's kind of like, okay, we're trying to win now. I mean, when you, when you make a move like that with Machado, it's kind of like a statement. You know, you're making a statement. And combined with that, I think the next statement or one of the next statements is going to be bringing up Fernando Tatis Jr. So I would put the date right now at June 15th if I had to pick one. But I don't really feel strongly about it. Some of it's just going to come down to what happens in season, how, how the other guys are playing. But yeah, that, that's about where I would guess, June 15th. What about you? Originally, I was thinking he wasn't going to play a game this year. But with that Machado signing, I'm going to say July 15th. Or the first game after the All-Star break. That's my call. Yeah, it's fair. It's one of those things that I feel like those things are so hard to guess. Yeah, I remember one year. I actually remember this from a previous Facebook group that we were in. But there was a discussion about when J.P. Crawford's first game would be. This was when he was getting all the all the publicity and stuff, you know top 10 prospect and all that. And I remember I said July 4th in the comments. Like just kind of, because I one because I thought it was around, be around that day and two, obviously national holiday and all that. And I think I made a joke and he did not play. I want to say that entire season. And even for a while into the following season, it was, there was nothing. He never even, I want to say he didn't come up, and if he did, it was maybe a game or two. It was nothing big. So it's it's one of those things. Obviously, this isn't that le- – you know, Tatis and, is on a totally different level than, than he was. But my, my overall point is just guessing those kind of uh, – those times, it's, it's really hard to do. I know we, we all thought Vlad Jr. would be up last year, and he wasn't. So it, it's, it's really hard to say. I, I don't know for sure, but – my guess would be in mid midsummer somewhere in there. It wouldn't shock me if he's up in April or later of 2020, and it wouldn't shock me if he was up in the end of April in 2019. Really, yeah, neither I, one would shock me at this point. I actually saw he homered yesterday again. Uh huh. Two days ago he homered. Yesterday, just as I was going to bed, I laid down and there. They showed a highlight, and I was trying to figure out if it was the same one from the previous day. And they're like, no, it's his second homer in as many days. And I was just kind of all like, oh, boy. that's Yeah, I was like, oh, boy, that's that's interesting. He's he's obviously their best player at shortstop. I mean, you know, excluding Machado from the shortstop conversations. But he's their <laughs> yeah. guy. So it's it's like, yeah, it's, it's just a matter of when they decide to do it. I, I wouldn't even be that shocked if it was April. I, I, yeah, I, would, no. I wouldn't be surprised. But it could be a while too. It, it's definitely tough, tough to uh, tough to call there. Let's say the Padres do like we discussed last episode, where they get off to a hot start and things are looking real good, and all of a sudden there's buzz. They could decide, you know what, we're just going to push. And Tatis is, you know, he's had the last couple of years. He's had a tough start to both years in minor leagues. Let's say this it's different this year, and he's out there just crushing everything. They could just decide. Let's just go for it. Let's throw him out there. We're winning right now. Let's keep this momentum going and get him up. But 
he could also be struggling. The Padres are struggling, and it just doesn't look like they're quite ready yet. And they decide, let's just hold them out till next year. Either one's yeah. possible. Yeah, I kind of have the vibe with Tatis that when he first comes up, he may not just be the absolute monster that we want him to be right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't think his hit tool is quite as advanced as a few of the other prospects, and he's still really young and stuff. I, I could see him even struggling a little bit, but that that means that means nothing towards his long-term value because long-term, I think he's going to wind up being one of the better players in the league. It's just I, I could see it being uh, kind of a slow-breaking period for him a little bit, but you never, right. know. you never know. I mean, sometimes they come right out and mash, too. We saw it last year, but. I mean, last year in double A and in 2017 in double A, his strikeout rates were 29.8% and 27%. He is not, he's had a higher K rate ever since he's gotten out of A ball to where I agree with you. I don't think he's one that I'm reaching for in redraft leagues because I think he's going to come up and be a superstar immediately. You got the questions of when he comes up and will he perform as compared to like Vlad Jr. or Eloy where. Their stats in the AAA show they're ready right now to perform right now. Tatis, it's not quite there yet. Yeah, yeah, it just feels it just feels like a little bit different level of hit tool with those guys, at least right now. But he'll right get now. there. He'll get there. He's he's going to be awesome. Okay, so now I'm going to go 32 through 40. Hernan Perez with the Brewers at 32. We have discussed him before. Didi Gregorius at 33. He's out till. I think they're saying the all-star break. Scott Kingery at 34, Orlando R.C. at 35, Dansby Swanson at 36, Troy Tulowitzki at 37, Thir- Brandon Crawford at 38, Nick Ahmed at 39 with the Diamondbacks, and at 40, Yara Munoz. So of these eight right here, which one sticks out to you? None of them. <laughs> None? I mean, I, not really. I, I guess Didi. Just because he's discounted because he's hurt, but nah, Swanson and Kingery are young but disappointed, and Kingery's season last year was just so awful. I mean, if if you haven't seen it, just go look at Scott Kingery's season. It was so unbelievably terrible. Like I think two sixty seven on base percentage or something, like just crazy terrible. I none of these guys stick out. I. I think DD when he comes back will be fine and be startable and all that. So if that's if that's something where you you can stash him or throw him on your DL or whatever, you know, I, I do think that he'll matter when he comes back. But these other guys, nah, Orlando Arcia, whatever, Swanson. Eh, I guess I like him a little more than Arcia even at this point, but not really. It's just it's not good. These guys are just. Bench fodder, you know, waiver wire, see who gets hot or something. But Yeah, Didi's the most interesting to me because he's a guy who you can pick up, and as long as you have plenty of DL slots, you can get him in there. And he seems like his rehab's going well to where originally they were saying July, and it wouldn't be shocking to me if he was back before then. And he's a fantasy valuable player once he's back in terms of hitting as a left-hander in, in that ballpark. He was a... MVP level candidate the first month of the year and Scott Kingery. It was brutal. I would take him with a reserve round pick just in case he 
you know, takes a step forward, but I would, that's as far as I'd go with that. Yeah. But he's, but he's your first cut though. You know, it's like the minute, the minute the first week comes and a guy hits two home runs in a game, you're dropping Scott Kingery to pick that guy up. It's just, yep. That's kind of how, you know, it's just, yeah. Starting out hot. I agree. Couple guys below there, I guess we mentioned Rogers, uh, Bo Bichette, you know, you never know if he gets called up. Obviously, he will matter. That you know, that may or may not happen. It's really hard to say. And then one uh, one real deep guy I know that Tim McLeod's a fan of, so I'll, I'll give him a shout here is Cole Tucker for Pittsburgh. And the only reason I bring him up is. He steals a lot of bases, and it's the Pirates. And their starting shortstop at the moment is Eric Gonzalez. So it's one of those where if, you know, it's just a stash. Like if if he comes, it's one of those guys, if he comes up, I think he would matter because he just has that type of skill set where stolen bases, anytime they come into the league, and you can get them; they're relevant. But he may—he's another one that it may not be till the second half or later in the year. But last two seasons, he's got forty-seven and thirty-five steals. So, in you know, in the minors, obviously. And he's a pirate. And he's a pirate. Yep. Which means that that organization historically they move guys up as soon as they're ready. They're always really aggressive with them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure he'll be up by May. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's. <laughs> He's exaggerating if if you couldn't notice there. <laughs> um, the only other one, you mentioned some interesting ones. Carter Keyboom with the Washington Nationals. If an injury does happen in that infield, let's say, oh, shoot, who did they sign? Brian Dozier, if he struggles, there's a chance that guy could come up and provide some pop, too, as an extra guy to come up. And I think that's all it for the guys I wanted to mention. I think you yeah. covered the rest of them pretty interesting. Bo Bichette's another one that, if he comes up, he could be a real nice producer if he if he was to get up. But it's kind of like Tatis. It wouldn't shock me if he's up in – I don't, actually, I wouldn't expect him to be up in April regardless. But if he's up in midseason or if he's not up at all, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, I would – these guys might not even come up. I mean, let's be honest. But I just – I only mentioned Tucker because the steals. It's – it's not that often that you get a guy that could steal a lot of bases inserted into your lineup for nothing. Yeah. So that's that's all. That's the only reason I even mentioned him. There's a good chance he doesn't even come up, but there, I think there's a chance that he does. Are you drafting him in a reserve round? I took him team with thirty slots. I, I, no, no, I don't think so. I I would just have him on a watch list, you know. And okay. I I took him in a, a late rounds of a draft and a hold. I would do that because it's just okay. it, it. I think if he comes up, that you know the steals, it it could always help. You know, you never know. I figured that's what you went meant, but I wanted to clarify for the listeners yeah. to make sure they knew that this is not a guy that you want to draft in a right r- normal league. No, it's more of a guy that keep an eye on, and if you hear he's coming up and he's going to be playing, yeah, jump on him because steals are hard to find. Yep. All right, I'm going to tie the bow on this position with a couple last Facebook questions. Britt Johnson asked, 
which shortstop would be the lowest in the rankings that you'd feel comfortable having as your starting shortstop going into the season? Do you want to take that one first? Do you want me to? I would say probably Hampson. There's a lot of them. I mean, you go down to Andrus is 17. I wouldn't love that. but And then Hampson was at 19. And we obviously said what we said about him. So, yeah, I think there's plenty of shortstops to go around for everybody to have one in the league. Polanco would be okay, too. But I think of him as more of a middle infielder. But um, pretty good one, you know. So, yeah, somewhere in that range, I would say. Yeah, Polanco, I think, is my floor here if I miss out on Hampson. Hampson's my goal to have a shortstop or middle infield to have to get him in that 11th round. A lot of times I've snagged my second base and shortstop by then, and I'll gladly take Hampson as a middle infielder. But, yeah, I think if I miss out on him, I still would have Polanco or even maybe even Marcus Simeon as my shortstop if need be if I've got a good second base and middle infielder already. The other, so the other thing, uh, the other thing I think I failed to mention with Hampson is he qualifies at short now, but he's going to play second. I mean, I know people know that, but I think it's just important to point out because he's multi eligible too. So that just adds to everything else we said during the hour or whatever that we talked about. <laughs> I was about to say it's it's good we plugged in some more Hampson. I yeah, think that's just yeah. what we needed for this podcast. <laughs> yep, second base shortstop. That's it's valuable, solid. Yep. And my follow-up question to Brent's question, which shortstop at their ADP is most likely to be on a team you draft? And I think I already know the answer, but yeah. I say it. Se- Seager and Hampson would be the two. I do yeah. like Seager a lot, like I said, that where he's at. It's just if you miss on Bogarts and Correa. But that said, I don't. even though the position's deep, I don't mind taking Lindor, Trey, Manny... And story either I, you know, pretty much all of them except Mondesi. Just don't draft him. And you'll be all right. <laughs> oh God, you popped me there. <laughs> uh, I agree. Even though it's a deep position, I've been still not afraid to go on it early and get a shortstop yeah. early, and then still take Hampson as a middle infielder. It's been yeah. fun. That's yeah. actually that's actually probably my preference. But you know, if you have to fall back on that, it's all right. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, that was a great conversation about shortstop. Man, we went a long time there, but I think when you got that many guys that you like and then one that you hate that much, you can talk for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we went on for a while there, but there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, a lot of talent, like we mentioned at the beginning, with this with this position up and down the list. I mean, all the way down, you know. When you've got young guys like Tim Anderson and Umed Rosario at 15 and 16, it kind of just tells you all you need to know because it's, it's just a lot of talent. So Yeah, this is exciting. a special time for shortstops. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, I think we'll tie a bow on that and go into our close here. I appreciate everybody listening again this week. And, Andrew, while – we're going, let's see, what are we going to try doing next? I haven't even thought about beyond this one, I guess. Third base ranks will be next. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that uh, going with, we're kind of moving around the diamond here. So I guess third base will be, will be next. 
Let's see. Right now, we're right at about a month away from the season, and after we can get third base done, we'll have outfielders, starters, and relievers. And the outfielders and starters will definitely need at least two episodes for each because there's so much at those positions. But I think we should be able to get all those in before the start of the year. That's the hope, anyways. We'll need a we'll need another hour block to talk about Vlad Jr. But <laughs> I guess we'll work. Yeah. Shouldn't be a problem, right? Nope, I think we could do that. <laughs> well, this week, you've got your drafts going on. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we get out of here? No, not really. I'm actually on the on the clock in this home run derby draft. <laughs> so, but yeah, well, why don't just, you tell everybody about draft. that? A lot of people have never heard of a league. Oh, like yeah, Jory jo- uh, Divig runs, uh, runs the leagues for the group basically the um he's the one who set up the draft and holds i'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it the draft and hold leagues for the baseball 365 group and he does a home run derby league every year and i just love it i've been like bugging him to set it up but yeah it's just it's all utility bats and it's all and it's just home runs that's all that counts so you just draft home runs and set your lineup it's pretty it's pretty fun it's it's like a low maintenance fun competition pretty much you know it's all it is but it's cool i like it i got i got stanton edwin and eloy with my first three so pretty pretty awesome i'm happy with it yeah that's that's i probably should try getting myself into one of them type of leagues or some sort of league because i have nothing to do right now i'm just sitting here looking at my teams for another (laughs) month so i might need to find myself another league Okay, a couple more things I want to plug before we get out of here. Baseball 365 on a Facebook group. We're up over 1,050 members. We've had another 50 members join in the last week. Continue great conversations there. We've had up over 60 posts go in a single day of people asking questions about keepers and everything. If you got questions you'd like to ask about your Facebook or your fantasy baseball teams, or if you just want to get in on the conversations, come join us. And also our Twitter account, Baseball365Pod. You can get in on conversations going on there, too. Ask us questions, and we'll try to throw them into the show. Any final words, Andrew? Nope, that does it. Just keep the uh, keep the conversation rolling on the group, guys. It's an exciting time of year. We're getting close here. we got the spring training games going now, so we should be going here full bore and uh, not looking back for several months, so... I cannot wait for uh, yeah. day. I can't wait. It's I'm just smell it now. I am just like it's so perfect. Thursday's my day <clears> off. So I have split days off. I, I'm off Thursday and Sundays, and Thursday is my day off, and Thursday is that full opening day. I ain't moving a muscle <laughs> that day. I mean, that, I am just so I'm so pumped. I can't wait. <laughs> It's going to be a weird work week for me because I'm taking that Thursday off, or at least I'll, I'll take a half day. And Tuesday, MLB The Show comes out on PlayStation, and I'll probably be taking that day off too. So I'll be nice. working some weird Monday, Wednesday, Friday that week because I love baseball and I love MLB The Show. All yeah, right, that does exciting. it. I, I appreciate you guys. You all take care. We'll talk to you later. Yep, take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, 
We would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. We'll be right back.